Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. And I'm uh, one of the pastoral assistants up at New Day uh, Nichols, and uh, my wife and I have gone to New Day for a long time. Right, Mark? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And my wife and Amber grew up together, so they were like originals, right? You're like 1.0 New Day people. Even before it was New Day, so that's old school. So uh, it's great to be with you. Um, it's been a while since I was down here, and so it's just great to, to be back with you. And uh, it's my uh, privilege this morning to open up God's Word to you and to uh, preach as part of our parables series. And so uh, we have been in this uh, Kingdom Parables series for just a few weeks here. And uh, one of the things that we want to do is help Um, explain a little more about the kingdom of God and uh, what the kingdom of God is about and what it tells us about who God is. Now, uh, the kingdom of God language is used a lot in Christian circles and it's used a lot in churches. So hands up if you've heard about the kingdom of God before we started this series. So most of you have heard of this kingdom of God language. If you happen to grow up in church, you probably heard about the kingdom of God. Uh, It's something that we talk about a lot because Jesus talked about the kingdom of God quite a bit. In fact, when Jesus started to preach and teach, one of the first things that he started to talk about is that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And this was a very, very interesting language. What did Jesus actually mean by that? What did it mean that the kingdom of God is near? And so part of our uh, role as Christians or part of our identity as Christians is to understand a little more about the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God and what does it mean to be part of the kingdom of God and what does it tell us specifically about who God is? And so that's been our series that we've been in for the last few weeks. And I'm going to continue with that series today by looking at another one of the parables uh, that we have before us. And so uh, this parable this morning, Mark's Mark's running tech support. No? No tech support? Well, I am doing it. He's doing it. Okay. So we're going to believe in faith for the tech support. It's one of these things that was working earlier, right? This always happens, right? It's working in in the practice run, in the trial run, but when you really need it, that's okay. We'll make it. Uh, So the parable that we're going to look at today really uh, continues in this series. So I'm going to really quickly refresh the parables that we looked at already in this series. We looked at a parable of the treasure or the parable of of the pearl of great price. You remember that parable where there was something of such great value that the person who found it gave up everything else for this one thing. So the kingdom of God is like is like that pearl of great price or that great treasure. There's something about the kingdom of God that is more precious and valuable than anything else. Uh, Does that feel like a mystery to you this morning? There's something mysterious about that. And one way that you know that the kingdom is really precious is that you start to experience it. There are some things in life that you only know how good they are when you get to experience them for yourself. Does that make sense? There's certain things in life that you have to experience them to know how rich and how meaningful they are. 
But sometimes the only way to experience it is you have to go all in, right? Amen. Right? Can anybody think of, a, of a, an analogy or, a, or an image that would help us to understand this this morning? Being married is a great example, right? How do you know what it's like to be married? How do you know the richness of being married? How do you, how do you know it? You say, let's try it for a few months and see how it works out. Well, that's not typically how we do it, right? You go all in, right? Uh, you're in a relationship with someone and you reach a point, you say, I gotta go, I gotta go all in, right? I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to be committed and faithful relationship to you. And over the years, what do people say? Those who have been married a long time, what do they say about marriage? It's better with time. Gets better with time. Amen. So the kingdom is a little bit like that. You go all in, and it gets better, and it gets richer over time. The mustard seed and the yeast. The kingdom of God seems very, very small. Uh, the kingdom of God can, can sometimes seem... Like it's not really doing very much at all. Sometimes we look at what's happening in our world and we say, really, does the, do the values and the principles of the kingdom of God really have anything that can compete with the wealth and the power that we see in the world? And yet, what does Jesus say? That small mustard seed grows up to be a tree and it has real size and real impact on its environment. The kingdom can seem small, it can seem like it's not very powerful at times, and yet it can take us by surprise because the kingdom works through everything. Like yeast, it works through everything, and it influences everything around it. The kingdom is like a great banquet. Uh, the kingdom is open to all, and it's actually open to people that we normally wouldn't think would be worthy of such a great and incredible uh, experience, or such great and incredible riches. But the kingdom is open and is offered to people we might not at first expect, and that's good news, because that includes each one of us. Amen. Today, or one more, the kingdom of God and the parable of the prodigal son. This parable where we actually have Two brothers, and they have two very different experiences with the father. The one son who takes half the inheritance and goes and squanders it, and the son who stays. And we see in this parable two different ways of relating to God, and we see the incredible love and grace and mercy of the father. We come to today's message and today's parable, which is the parable of the persistent widow. This parable actually could also be just as easily labeled the parable of the unrighteous judge. But we're going to stick with the, with the biblical heading that the uh, NIV has put in here. is the parable of the persistent widow. And we're going to look at this uh, together. All right, are we working with the PowerPoint, you think? think you so. think so? We'll find out. It's the moment of truth. Whoa, look at that. Okay. Wonderful. So the parable of the persistent widow. Now this might not jump out to you as one of the, um, the top ten parables that, uh, to cover if we were going to go through a list of parables. It's, it's quite short. 
And it's maybe not one that's quite as well known, but we're going to cover it today and we're going to pull out some of the lessons that it teaches us about who God is, about the kingdom, and also what it means for us uh, today. So let's just jump in. We're going to uh, read it. It's actually only recorded in one place in Scripture. Sometimes we have, um, in, the, in uh, the teachings in the life of Jesus, we have multiple accounts, but it's only in Luke's uh, gospel, and it's in Luke chapter 18. It's the first eight verses. And so I have them here, and so I'll just, um, I'll just read them to you. Uh, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain time, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that time who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, the judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or I care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so that concludes um, our passage for this morning. So this passage actually is quite easy to summarize. There's, there's no other version of this parable. This is, this is what we have to work from this morning. So when we summarize this parable, we can do it quite quickly. There are two main people who are mentioned. Who are the two main people that are mentioned in this parable? The judge and the widow. So the judge and the widow, how do we uh, see them presented in this particular parable? They are on two different sides of a legal situation. And we have a judge on one side, and we have a widow on the other side. And we have a widow who's seeking justice and a judge who refuses to grant her justice until at one point he changes his mind and he grants her the justice that she seeks. Now, why does Jesus teach us this parable? Uh, Well, actually, uh, it's quite straightforward to know why Jesus taught this parable because he actually tells us very, very early. And it's actually Luke, the writer of this gospel, that frames up for us, or he tells us why this parable was taught. And this parable was taught in order to provide two points. Two points for his disciples. That they ought always to pray, and that they should not give up or not lose heart. There's actually two, two different points here. And I think oftentimes, when we may have read this um, parable in the past, we might think it's really only about prayer. This is only really about prayer. And yes, that's one significant part of this uh, parable. But it's also about this idea of perseverance and not giving up. Uh, sometimes Jesus pre- uh, teaches in parables and the disciples have to come to him afterwards and say, Jesus, what did that parable mean? There was a lot of mystery to the parable. 
But thankfully for us this morning, the meaning of this parable is very, very clear because Luke has told us right up front. So, as we continue to think about the details of this parable, we can see that there are two main people who are involved. And I don't know if you've thought much about the people who are involved in here, but we have a, a judge, a widow, and an adversary that's kind of hinted at in the background. There's something, some situation or something has happened to the widow that's causing her to come to the judge. Before we go much deeper into the, uh, the details of this parable and unpack it a little bit more, we need to think about where is this parable in Luke's gospel? What's the context in which this parable appears? And actually, this parable is part of a longer section of Scripture in Luke's gospel that starts in chapter 17, verse 20, and then goes all the way to the end of our verses this morning, Luke 18, 8. So to really understand exactly what Jesus is saying, we need to kind of st- take a step back and look at Luke 17, 20, all the way through until 18, verse 8. And when we do that, when we kind of take a step back and we look at that larger section, this passage begins to even make more sense to us and to unpack a little bit more of the fuller meaning. Uh, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God, but he's been teaching about the kingdom of God in this larger passage from 17 verse 20 all the way to 18 verse 1. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. So remember our series on the kingdom of God and understanding the kingdom a little bit more. And what Jesus has been saying about the kingdom actually is future-oriented. Okay? So sometimes we open up and we, we read our Bibles And the passage that we're reading has a very fixed focus. It has a focus in terms of what it's saying to us, the content. But oftentimes in Scripture, there's some type of of time focus as well. Sometimes we're reading something that's back in history. Sometimes we're reading something that's a fresh moment. So sometimes when you open up the book of Psalms or something like that, it's, it's like a moment for every morning, right? That's why we love the Psalms. It's speaking to us today. What's our, what's our today experience with God? But there are other passages of Scripture that are future-oriented. So what would be a good example of a future-oriented passage of Scripture? Something like the book of Revelation, right? We open up the, the book of Revelation, the last book of Scripture, and we say there's something future about that book. It hasn't happened yet, but Scripture's telling us about something that's going to happen in the future. And this parable of the persistent widow is part of a section of Luke's gospel that's actually future-oriented. If you read the end of chapter 17, Jesus is talking about a day coming in the future that's the, the day of the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is a, another term the Bible uses for Jesus. And he's looking, Jesus is talking about the time when he will return and some of the things that will be happening when he returns and in the days leading up to his return. And there are several parts of Scripture that talk about the day that Jesus will return, the future coming of of Jesus, and they talk about some of the events that will happen. And Matthew 24 is another great example of this in Jesus' teaching. And actually, in Matthew's Gospel, there's even more detail. But it's a time that is yet to come. 
So what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? Well, when we as Christians think about and try to explain the kingdom of God, we end up using a phrase where we say that the kingdom of God is here or it's present today, but it's also coming or is yet to come. So the kingdom is both here and the kingdom is yet to come. So sometimes that can be a little bit hard to get our, our heads around. And I was trying to think of an image for this, a picture to help us understand it. And one image that I have thought that might be helpful is um, those of you who like to get up early, do you have any morning people? Some morning people? I am not a morning person. I'm a night, any night people? That's the more godly way, I think. <laughs> but if you happen to be a morning person, and you're getting up early, you get up before dawn, and you have that real darkness of night, right? It's been night for a long time. It's been night for hours. And what happens if you're looking out the window as the sun starts to come up? What do you see? You see the first light of dawn. And does the sun just suddenly pop up into the sky? Or does it slowly rise on the horizon? Well, it slowly rises. And in fact, you see the light of the sun before you actually see the sun itself, right? And so in those early morning light, you could say the sun has risen, but also not quite fully risen. It's not night anymore. Something has changed. The light has come, but it's not fully here. If somebody said to you, is it day or night? You would say, well, it's dawn. It's not fully night, but it's not fully day either. And that's the time we live in when it comes to the kingdom. The kingdom has definitely come. That first light of the kingdom has definitely come. It's come in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, we live in a time where it hasn't fully come either. We don't live in a time when it's the noonday sun that's giving us warmth and light. The fullness of the kingdom hasn't yet come. And yet, we can look forward to the fullness of the kingdom coming. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the lead-up to this parable. And what's fascinating about what Jesus says is the full coming of the kingdom is actually going to involve a time of trouble. A time when there is war and there's famine and there are all of these very, very difficult things that will happen on the earth. And we live in this time as we understand the kingdom of God where we experience the first light of that kingdom, as it were, and we experience that in our everyday lives. We experience it when we experience the love of God and the healing of God and the presence of God in our life. That is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. When we read about Jesus and his ministry, he set people free. He showed love to people. He brought healing. He brought deliverance. That is the kingdom at work. And we can experience this in our own lives today. 
And when we read about the fullness of the kingdom that's yet to come, the fullness of what the kingdom will look like, we know that it's a time when all sickness and all death and all sin and all sorrow will finally go away, will finally be done with when the fullness of the kingdom comes. And what do we experience today as Christians? We experience both the light of the kingdom because we can have joy, we can experience life, new life in God, and yet, unfortunately, we also experience the sorrow of death, the sorrow of sickness, the sorrow of injustice. And that's what our parable speaks to this morning, is that sense of sorrow or injustice that we often experience in life while we wait for the fullness of the kingdom to come. So some parables speak right to our immediate situation, and this one does. But this parable speaks to our immediate situation as we also anticipate the future fullness of the kingdom that is to come. So let's go back to our parable. What was the issue that the widow faced in her situation? We don't actually know. Jesus doesn't tell us. But the widow is facing some type of injustice, and it's a type of injustice that is pushing her to continually go back to the judge over and over. There's actually two injustices that happen to the widow. The first one is whatever it has happened to her that makes her need to go to the judge. What's the second injustice? The judge who won't listen to her. The judge who won't listen to her. The second injustice is that she speaks up and nobody believes her. The second injustice is that she speaks up and uses her voice, but she's dismissed. She's not taken seriously. She's easily dismissed. And why is she so easily dismissed in this situation? Well, she's a widow. And widows had absolutely no standing. They had no authority. They had no power to do anything in this context. In the cultural time of which Jesus lived and told this parable, widows were about as, as far down the line as you could go. Widows were basically seen as dependent on others for their provisions and for their care. A widow could be very, very easily dismissed. It would be, in a sense, nothing for somebody in power to dismiss a widow. So, sometimes we might identify with the widow. We might say, I'm suffering an injustice. And on top of that, nobody will listen to my cry. I can't get help. Nobody will help to put this right. That's the situation that the widow is in. Sometimes in life we see injustice around us. It's actually quite easy to see injustice around us. And injustice can look like people getting things or having things happen to them that they don't deserve. It also can look like people who should have certain things happen to them as a result of their actions, they don't seem to bear the consequences of those actions. 
Injustice can take lots of different forms. And that's the focus of this parable, is that for some, for some of us, injustice can happen in such a deep way that it holds us back from seeing anything else in the future. This widow was obsessed with getting justice. The way we read this parable, this is the driving focus of her life, is to see that she gets justice. And I don't know if you've ever felt an injustice that deep, but that's the image we have in this parable, is that the sole focus of this widow's life is that she gets justice. And we see sometimes people in our, in our own experience, our own lives, where they really live their life this way. And it can be to set right a grievance that they feel, or it can be issues that emerge in our society. I don't know if you've met people who basically give up their whole lives, it seems like, or set their whole career or their whole ministry to help people who are suffering injustice. But we tend to, as Christians especially, like really command people who essentially say, you know what, I really want to help these, this group of individuals in our society. And they might start a ministry or an organization to do it, and we say, wow, it's amazing that that person is just sensing such a call to address or to tackle that injustice. And what's incredible about it is oftentimes people who work in these areas in our society, they know that the injustice will likely last beyond their lifetime and is bigger than they can tackle by themselves, and yet they still pursue it. Wow, what an incredible call of God. The widow in this passage actually does something unusual, and that's that she doesn't give up. So what would we culturally expect for this widow? Uh, actually, we culturally expect that she would just give up and essentially just go away. That actually was the, kind of the expected thing. Hey, you've gone to the judge, and this judge has denied your appeal for justice probably multiple times, so why keep asking? Like, why keep going back to the judge? And in fact, the widow, this would have been very shocking for Jesus' hearers. Those who heard him, they would have been like, why on earth did she keep going back to the judge? Like, that's just not what you do. And yet, we see that this widow persisted and persisted. She doesn't seem to have anybody else who's on her side. She doesn't seem to have a male relative who culturally might be expected to go and to plead her case. She doesn't seem to have anybody else who can advocate for her. So she does this shocking thing where she just keeps going back. She just advocates for herself. She keeps going back and keeps going back and keeps going back. And culturally, this would have been really, really surprising. Um, the, the other thing is, let's look at, at the judge. Um, so the judge, what do we know about the judge in this story, apart from the fact he kept saying no to the widow? What do we know about the judge? The judge has has an expression that is used that he is a judge who neither feared God or cared what people thought. Uh, Jesus describes the judge that way. And a little bit later, when, the, when we get a window into the judge's inner thinking, when he does change his mind, even the judge himself says about his own life, he says, I don't fear God, and I don't care what people think. Now, sometimes... Some people in our culture might say, oh, that's positive because it means you're impartial, right? If you're not, if you're not affected by your religious beliefs or you're not affected by 
what other people think of you. That, in our justice system, we might say that's a good thing, to be totally impartial, to be objective. But actually, in the biblical story and in Jesus' parable, both of those things are negative traits. Um, Biblical justice is not how we understand our justice system today. Biblical justice actually was quite biased. Now, the biblical justice system was actually quite biased. And do you know in what way it was biased? It was biased towards those at the bottom of society. It was biased in favor of widows. It was biased in favor of foreigners. It was biased in favor of those that lived in poverty. Which is pretty incredible. When you look at the Old Testament especially, we see that. So for the judge to not really care about what other people thought or to fear God actually is negative. In the Jewish world, that actually was seen quite negatively. Hmm, is this guy, how could this guy be a good judge? He doesn't care what people think, and he doesn't fear God. How is it possible for him to be a good judge? And in fact, we see he's really not a good judge, right? Because he doesn't grant the widow the justice that she deserves. What's really amazing is that the judge experiences some fear because of the widow. Hmm. What's funny is, along the way, the judge says, I'll see that she gets justice, so she won't eventually come and attack me. And the imagery that's used is imagery that is actually from a boxing match or a boxing ring. So if you can imagine, this image is kind of ludicrous in some ways. Imagine a really big, strong judge who's being put into the corner of a boxing ring by this widow who's coming to attack him. That seems kind of strange, right? Kind of reverses the situation. The widow is the one without, without any authority and power, and the judge has all the authority and power, and yet he and his mind gets to a place where he's so bothered by this woman that he says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what she might do to me. And so we see the result is that the widow is granted her justice. What a fascinating story. What a fascinating example and an insight that Jesus would share. At the very, very end of our passage, we see that Jesus says a couple of very, very important things to us that are key to understand as we finish up thinking about this passage. Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice? For his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So Jesus brings this around to his own hearers' situation, to his disciples. And he said, when you seek justice, God is on your side. When you seek justice, that God is on your side and that God hears When you seek justice, God hears and God answers. What are the two main themes of our parable? Do you remember what Luke tells us in verse 1? Pray 
and don't give up. Always pray and don't give up. And we see that the widow didn't give up. She persisted. And we can see that the judge changed his mind. Sometimes in a Christian life, it's tempting to think about God as that judge, but not necessarily as the judge that gives justice, but sometimes we can be tempted to think of God as the judge who's withholding. Sometimes in in life, things happen to us, or they happen to people that we know, and we say, wow, God seems to be not answering that prayer. God seems to be distant. God seems to be far away. And it can be tempting sometimes to think of God as more like the unjust judge than truly a righteous judge. And there are definitely things that happen in life that are very, very difficult, that make no sense to us, that can seem very, very unjust. Where we can look at this passage and we can see ourselves in the widow's experience very, very easily. And so this parable is here to remind us and encourage us to keep persevering. To keep persevering. To continue in prayer. I have to be honest that this parable is difficult as well as it is encouraging. It's difficult in the sense that that waiting period where we want God to bring justice is a tough place to be. And I don't want to minimize the difficulty of being in that situation of the waiting. Uh, We actually sang about that this morning. God's in the waiting, right? And there are other passages of Scripture that remind us that God's presence is very near to us at all times. And as we are encouraged in this parable, we're encouraged to continue in prayer and to persevere. And those are important words for us to hold on to from this parable this morning. And yet, This parable also acknowledges that there is injustice in the world and that there is one who can provide the justice that we seek, whether that's for us individually or whether it's when we take a step back and we look at our culture or we look at our world and we say, when will justice come? And just like we had that analogy of the kingdom coming fully, we know that one aspect when the kingdom fully comes, when Christ returns and when God uh, makes all things new, We know that justice will come. We know that justice will come. And so one of the elements of this parable is to help us to continue to look forward, to continue to look into the future, and to anticipate the fullness of what God will do. There's a commentator that has written on this passage, and he said, basically, this passage is all about anticipation. Being faithful while we anticipate the fullness of of God coming. And that can be a difficult place to be in, right? We're not always good at waiting, right? When we are online and we're waiting for a web page to download, you know how long we'll often wait before we just give up? Eight seconds. Eight seconds. We're just not very good at waiting, right? If you go to the post office or the Secretary of State's office, and you see there's like more than two people in line in front of you, you're like, oh, I'll just come back some other time. It's not worth it. So when we have these things in life 
where we really need to dig in and persist and pray, that's hard for us sometimes, right? It's hard for us. And here we have a widow and her example to us and the lesson to us is to persevere. At the very, very end of our passage today, Jesus makes another comment. He said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's an interesting comment to wrap up this parable, isn't it? Well, it only makes sense if you read from Luke 17, 20 all the way through. You've got to read the section before our parable starts. Where Jesus has talked about the day when the Son of Man will return. And what does Jesus ask at the end of this parable? He says, when I return, will there be any who have persevered in faith? That's an important question. What would make us not persevere in faith? Injustice, sorrow, heartache, seeing God as the judge who does not answer or deliver justice. And there are many times in life we might be tempted to think that, especially if we've been waiting a long time. Does Jesus guarantee us answers? Well, in one sense, he does, because he says we know there's a final justice to come. But we don't know the timeline. We don't know exactly how that justice will come. But God calls us to persevere and to persist in faith. We don't often think about the return of Christ in the sense of who will remain, who will persevere in the faith. But Jesus tells us in Luke 17, and he tells us in Matthew 24, that there are some difficult times that, that happen on the earth right before the Son of Man returns. A time when many will wander from the faith. He says that very clearly in Matthew 24. And Jesus asks this question, who will persevere? So this morning, that's a question for us to consider. Who will persevere in the faith? Well, we have a sense from our parable this morning that those who persevere are those who continue in prayer and continue to keep that sense of hope alive in their heart. When Jesus comes, will he find those who have persisted in prayer? and persisted in faith, and persisted in hope. Uh, When you see injustice, or maybe you have experienced injustice, where do you turn to for your hope? Where do you turn to for your resolution? Our parable this morning encourages us to turn to God as someone who has the ability and has the authority to grant justice. Like this widow, she had an impossible situation. And yet God is seen as a judge who even will provide in the midst of impossible situations. Some of us will have a testimony of God answering prayer. Some of us will have prayed for many years and seen God answer prayer. What an incredible testimony. Just like the judge, right? The judge who granted justice. Others of us today probably are more like the widow who is waiting And, you know, together in community as church, we can encourage each other, whether we're on the side where we have seen answered prayer 
for something for a long time where we have seen God's justice, or we can encourage each other if we're in the waiting. We can encourage each other and we can come alongside each other and say, hey, I'll pray with you. I'll encourage you to keep going. You know, sometimes you are in a season where you just feel like, hey, I have got the faith. I've got hope. I am just so excited about what God is going to do. And there are other times in life we say, oh man, I'm just, it's just harder. It's harder right now to really know how God will answer this prayer. And it's okay to be in those situations. And that's actually partly why we are in church together, right? So that we can encourage, that we can bear one another's burdens, so that we can lift each other up. I want to close with one image of prayer to wrap this up. And it's actually taken from Psalm 37, verse 7. Psalm 37, verse 7. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, when you read the book of Psalms, it seems like uh, the prayer, prayers that are offered and the example of prayer is just so helpful. And Psalm 37, 7 says this. It says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. Psalm 37, the first verses of that psalm are very, very related to our parable this morning. I'd encourage you to read it. And it basically says, hey, there's all sorts of wicked people who are prospering. There's all sorts of injustice. And where are you, God, in this? Where are you, God, in this? Help me understand it. On the psalmist, David writes, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And I don't know about you, but when I read the words, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him, I kind of imagine just sitting like a very quietly in silent meditation before the Lord and waiting for him to act. Now, there are parts of Scripture where we're encouraged to do that, where we are encouraged to be at peace and to, and to wait on the Lord. But actually here in the original Hebrew language, there's a bit of a different picture. The waiting before the Lord, the imagery that's used is imagery that involves a lot of movement, is imagery that involves perhaps dance. And the closest analogy that we have in the Hebrew to English is writhing around in pain. And actually, they're writhing around in pain and anticipation before a woman gives birth. That's the word that's used here when it says to wait patiently for God to act. You know, sometimes it might feel like limiting to just simply wait before God and to be, to be quiet and just to wait. And if you, need, if you need some action words this morning to help you in your prayer, to help you in your waiting, to help you in your relationship with God, Psalm 37, 7 is your verse. Because you can wait on God, you can put your hope in Him for deliverance, but it doesn't mean you have to be quiet, it doesn't mean you have to be free from movement, it doesn't mean that you have to be free from experiencing the pain of injustice. It's actually okay to experience the pain that comes with injustice, to cry out to God and to persist. And so, as we close this morning, let's remind ourselves of why Jesus taught this parable. To encourage us to pray and to persist in our faith.
so that when Christ returns, he can look upon the earth and he can find those who have persisted in their faith, that he would find us to have persisted in our faith. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your faithfulness, that you answer prayer. And we ask, God, that you would answer prayer quickly, that you would answer prayer. You know every situation in this room, God. You know every prayer that's on our heart and mind. And God, I ask that you would bring your deliverance, bring your justice, and bring it quickly, O God, we pray. Thank you for every person. I pray you would bless them this week, bless their households, bless their places of employment, bless the schools, their kids attend. Bless this community, we pray, with your peace and with your joy and with your justice. In your name we pray.